Live from Washington, D.C., this is the All Things STEM podcast, a podcast that explores policy affecting science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Here's your host, James Brown, Executive Director of the STEM Education Coalition. James Brown, and welcome to our new podcast about all things science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. It's a new forum for us. We're going to talk about all the things going on in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, or as we call it over and over again, STEM education, both here in Washington, nationally, within school, state, and local. So all things are on the table, and uh, we're going to take the format for this um, to start off with interviews with some of the people who are working on the ground in this field, and we're proud to have with us for our very first podcast, Chris Knightsey of the After School Alliance. Welcome, Chris. Good to be here, James. Thank you for having me. So why don't you tell us, um, start off by telling us what you what you do for the After School Alliance and why the After School Alliance cares about STEM. So I am the director of STEM initiatives at the After School Alliance. Uh, and the After School Alliance itself has been around almost 20 years. So next year we're celebrating our 20th anniversary. Um, but we really think of ourselves as the voice of after school and out of school time and summer programs um, at the federal, but also working at the state level as well. So helping to represent those programs, the staff, the students, the families that are on the ground and making sure that their voices are lifted up and members of Congress, uh, federal agencies understand the importance of the programs and really what's needed from those programs in order to succeed. Um, so as the director of STEM initiatives, I get the special privilege of working directly with some of our statewide after school networks. So there's 50 statewide after school networks across the country. They're funded in part by the Charles Stewart Mott Foundation um, to really make sure that that after school programs at the state level are really supported with quality support, professional development, and also policy. Um, so I have the privilege of working with those um, states around STEM, after school STEM policy. And this is a project that's really been going on for the last four years, um, in part uh, with funding from the Overdeck Family Foundation to really make sure that that Legislators uh, at the state level, along with um, local, other local elected officials and, and state agencies, start investing and in really understanding the importance of after-school STEM um, in order to make sure that these programs are available to more students. That's great. So, talk a little bit about what you think good is in after-school <laughs> STEM. I mean, this is a conversation we have all the time of of trying to differentiate high-quality right. experiences and, and get away from sort of the one-time. Um, you know, only time experience that a kid might have and talk about how to, what, what it really means to do, do right for kids in terms of getting them good experiences in, in environments that are not in the school, right? Because the other part of this is we, we use this term after school, but it means lots of things, right? right? It means sometimes we call it informal education, sometimes we call it out of school, sometimes it's summer learning, used in lots of different forms. Talk a little bit about, about what we mean by a really good experience in the after school Sure, I think one of them, and it really depends on the age of the, of, of the student, um, but the most important one I think is student choice and student voice. So one, students vote with their feet. So in order to have these, these middle schoolers and high schoolers and sometimes even elementary school students come to an after-school program, it needs to be something that they care about and something that they actually want to partake in. Um, so having allowing students to actually choose what types of programming, whether it's robotics or computer coding um, or maybe more of a citizen science type model for programming, making sure they have that, that option to really make sure their voice is heard. Um, another one is experiential learning. So, so if we think about the school day, so from you know, 7 or 8 to, to 2 or 3 p.m., um, we have a strict structure that students have to abide by, and, and teachers are teaching towards certain standards and curriculum. 
Um, so what can we do in the after school and the out of school time space to make sure that students take what they've learned during the school day and apply it in a real life way? So how can they take physics um, or what they've learned in their biology class or their environmental science class and actually apply it in a real way that they can tie towards their future career or future um, academic pursuits? So I think that's probably one of the biggest indicators of, of quality is making sure that it's something that's relevant to a student's life and it's something that they actually want to partake in. So let me ask about uh, one of the trends I see going on out there in the field is that, is that after-school environments are good places to try things that are new or that, that maybe don't have the easiest way to apply in the classroom. So I'll give you an example. So yesterday I got an inquiry from a reporter asking about eSports. Oh. Which, you know, so we've been talking about computer science for a long time about sort of digital literacy and, and all of the things that involve modern computing and, and digital life. But the question was, can you use federal dollars to support esports? Right. And let me, let me start off by saying esports, um, you know, if you haven't heard of this before, esports is this notion of competitive computer gaming. Um, a lot of times, if you flip on like ESPN 8 on Thursday night at 11 p.m. The Ocho. You might see, exactly. You might, you might see like a, a drone race yeah. in a basketball arena. You know, D.C. has actually professional esports teams now. But the question was, can, you, can a district or an after-school program use federal dollars, say through the 21st century after-school program, um, to support esports? Has, has that come up yet in the after-school world? How, how would you deal with something like so we've seen East, well, we've, we've, we've kind of watched as eSports over the last few years has really taken off in certain areas. Like, like you said, D.C., it's, it's almost like a varsity sport in Virginia as well. I think there's, it's, a, it's a letter sport, essentially, um, in certain school districts that, that kids can actually partake in this as an alternative to like the typical varsity sports we think of in football, soccer, baseball, basketball, um, and marching band. Um, but but we've, we've, that said, we've seen it become more popular. I haven't seen 21st Century Community Learning Centers funding or, or requests for that to be utilized for esports. However, the Title IV-A funding stream within the Every Student Succeeds Act, the newer funding stream that's kind of more of a block grant that's very flexible, I've started to hear and, and seen, I think there's a good example of a school district in Wisconsin um, that has utilized some of these funds in a way that, that to, to provide something that's of interest to the students. And one of those areas of interest is esports. So providing an esports team, essentially, um, to actually, you know, organize that and, and actually support that with a, with a staff member from the school. So you mentioned Title IV Part A, which is the Every Student Succeeds Act, and, and you know, that's, that's maybe the program with one of the worst names mm -hmm. in terms of being, being memorable about it, right? It's the Student Support and Academic Enrichment Grants Program, if I remember that academic, that, that acronym properly. But, but, you know, one of the things that, that I find fascinating about living through the No Child Left Behind era, and then you had the era of all the waivers and the, and the stimulus package and race to the top and some changes to how we did K-12, sort of seeing the, the arc of federal versus state control over education go on. So right now we're in year four, really almost year five of the Every Student Succeeds Act. There are these new funding streams in the law that allow states and districts to do new and interesting things with those funds specifically around STEM. What, what have you seen out there that's impressed you and maybe not impressed you in terms of how the states are using this law to, to get at this nexus of after school and STEM? Yeah, so so I think part of it is with, with Title IV Part A, the Student Support and Academic Enrichment, I think this is really the, the second year that we've seen this availability of funding. Um, this, you know, in two budgets ago, we saw a big increase in funding for it. So now the, the money's finally rolling to the districts where they can actually utilize it. 
for something other than just you know subsidizing or, or, or transferring it to another title, Title One or Title Two or Title Three. Um, we, I've outside of just that Title Four A discussion though, as far as like what's trending or what's in ESSA uh, that's kind of rolling out the states. Um, I think alignment. Um, one in particular is alignment with um, the Workforce Innovation Opportunities Act and, and the, the, the Career and Technical Education Act, the Perkins um, legislation that's really kind of governing career and technical education and workforce um, and, and aligning that in certain states. Um, I think Pennsylvania is a good example of a state that's sort of trying to align all of those along with Alabama as well. Um, so kind of addressing the workforce issues um, and the workforce preparation issues along with some of the opportunities that are existing within within um, ESSA in 21st century. Um, in Pennsylvania, we've seen a lot of work that happen, that's happening up in um, Luzerne County um, in northeast Pennsylvania around the Scranton-Wilkesbury area, where they've partnered their 21st century program um, with their, their local career technical institute. Um, to make sure that 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 students that are that are kind of running through or going through this 21st century program in, in elementary and middle school, they're they're working with or are, they're they're getting kind of mentorship from some of these high school students that are in the Career Technical Institute to understand like what types of opportunities exist within their area. Um, so some of the welding students, some of the nursing students, they do this like two week, two three week program over the summer where where they get to kind of partake and, and mentor some of these younger students. To, to kind of address some of these underrepresented uh, populations within certain careers. So men in nursing, women in welding, those are two examples of, of many examples that are happening um, to make sure that, that the, those students really see kind of what's out there um, and see themselves in some of these careers that otherwise they wouldn't really have an opportunity to, to kind of pursue. Yeah, so you mentioned a couple of interesting parallels there, men in nursing and women in welding. Do you see in the after-school world opportunities to do a better job of including people who are underrepresented in STEM fields that maybe aren't there in other settings? Yeah, definitely. I, and I think looking at like the data of after-school, um, we see that the majority of these after-school programs, especially when you're talking about federally funded programs, are serving students that are that we would deem underserved or underprivileged. Um, so I think that's a clear opportunity there, under underrepresented. In especially STEM careers, um, if we're talking about you know the populations that are underrepresented, um, after school is, is serving those students. So we have one, we have a clear opportunity to to address that. Um, and then another way is really you know connecting, and we started to see this in a lot of different programs, um, whether it's programs like Girls Who Code or TechBridge Girls, um, is really bringing in mentors from business in, in, in the industry in some of these STEM fields to, to come in and volunteer so that students that are that are technically underrepresented in these careers see somebody in that career and understand that this is something that I can actually pursue because look, this person looks like me, this person talks like me, or they come from a similar neighborhood or similar upbringing to me, I can do that if I see them already in this career. So I think that's a great way to really make sure that the, if I can see it, I can be a type model. Um, making sure that, that that's something that, that students actually see and have an opportunity to, to kind of pursue. You know, you, you made a good point there about sort of seeing yourself, seeing others who are like you in this field. One of the things that's, that I think is, a, is different about the after-school world that a lot of people don't appreciate, and, and this is a question that comes up a lot, the laws, education policies, whether they're state, local, they use the word teacher a lot. Mm -hmm. And I, I hear the after-school community wanting to use words like education mm -hmm. and talk about a wider range of people who are, who are engaging in education. 
Who, who are the people who who are are the the educators, the teachers, the the learning leaders in the after school world? How, how would they differ from what you typically think of as a quote teacher? Yeah, and, and so it really depends on the program, right? So there's a lot of a lot of programs that utilize school day teachers in the after school space. Now, what we don't want to see is the after school space being an extension of the school day. We want it to be a different space. So you have a lot of programs that that have some teachers there, and and they need that content expertise. Um, they the programs themselves need someone that knows what's happening on a school day, um, and they can provide that that expertise, whether it's in math tutoring um, or, or or some kind of expertise around science or technology, um, or just even English um, and, and arts. Um, but as far as some of the other staff goes, so so I think community members is incredibly important. Um, a lot of the programs themselves, no matter where they're operating, whether it's in a rural, urban, or suburban area. A lot of those programs, whether it's a Boys and Girls Club, a YMCA, an after-school all-stars, one of these many types of community-based organizations, they're employing members of the community. So they may be employing friends of the parents of some of these students, and they're already familiar with those those adult um, figures because they've seen them outside of the school day. So they're a little bit more warming um, and, and open to, to working with them, um, along with also younger students. So you're talking about high school and, and college and, and just, you know, just graduating college. Um, what we the near peer mentor age, um, so students can can connect with them a little bit easier than they could uh, an adult figure that they've seen maybe during the school day in a more formal environment. Um, if they're seeing, you know, college kids or or sometimes even high school kids coming into their program and working with them, they can connect a little bit easier, and it's a, a more relaxed environment, less formal, less structured environment for them. So let's let's talk about Congress a little bit. So. <laughs> There's a lot going on in Congress right now, um, but one of the things that's happened in the last couple of weeks is the, uh, the House Education Labor Committee has moved out a bill that would reauthorize the Higher Education Act, and that's sort of the, the third of three major bills that are always in this rotation in Congress. There's the, the K-12 law, which is now called the Elementary, the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, um, is the original law. Then there's the Career and Technical Education Act, which passed last year, and sort of next up is the Higher Education Act. Has the After School Alliance followed this bill that's come out of the House? How would you how would you assess how it's doing on, on your issues and dealing with STEM and after school in particular? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting bill because we think of it, it, it kind of governs higher education, which, you know, the After School Alliance is focused on K-12. But but when you think about some of the, the pathways that are kind of provided through the Higher Education Act and some of the other funding streams that are included in the Higher Education Act, we, we realize that it does touch after school in a couple different ways. One of them is through federal work study. Um, so this is funding that's provided to colleges and universities to, to provide support to their students that qualify for it based on need um, in order to, to you know, be employed in some kind of job outside of class, uh, also make a little bit of money. Um, and within that, there's this um, community service set aside um, that we've, we've found is actually incredibly important to a lot of programs that operate within the area of a local university. So communities uh, or community partners that, that kind of partner with the university to provide you know, careers or work-based learning opportunities, whether it's in an after-school program or a summer program. Um, what we've seen in, a, in the new Higher Education Act that was just released a few weeks ago is there's less of an emphasis on, well, there's no emphasis on a set-aside within that um, federal work study. There's more of, you know, we're providing less kind of we're, we're dictating it less on how you need to utilize this funding, um, but there are some opportunities, and one of them is, you know, providing, continuing to provide community set-asides or community 
partnerships um, through work-based learning opportunities in federal work studies. So there's opportunities there to continue that. We are a little bit worried that since there's not a set aside within that, that some of that funding could shift to other priorities that the university deems um, necessary. Uh, another opportunity that we've started to see, and, and it's not spelled out within the Higher Education Act at the moment, but we've seen some other potential amendments, um, is how do we, if we're addressing a teacher shortage, um, especially a teacher shortage of, of, I guess, minority teachers and underrepresented teachers, um, how can we help to, to kind of diversify the teacher workforce? So if you look at the, the population that is working within after school, it's a lot more representative of the populations within after school. So if we could tap into that um, and actually provide real pathways to some of these after school staff to actually pursue higher education and become potentially a teacher and go back and work in those environments where they're serving students that look more like them, I think that's a, a great opportunity. Um, there's a program like that right now that's at the state level, the California Teaching California Teaching Fellows Program, um, and there has been an amendment that was that was filed, and I believe it was um, accepted to kind of base a model after California Teaching Fellows um, within the Higher Education Act. So providing some more incentive to some of these um, type grow your own type programs where they're they're trying to bring potential um, potential teachers from the community into an actual teaching program within that local university. So talking about Congress a little bit further, um, what are some of the misconceptions you think that elected officials have about STEM education and after school in particular? What, 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 what are some of the, what are things that make you just roll your eyes when you hear yeah. that? Well, we've come a long way since STEM, people confuse it with STEM cells, right? So, <laughs> so and I've literally had that conversation with her. Like, I don't, I, I don't have a position on STEM. Yeah, do you, have you had to have that conversation in a while? Probably not as often anymore. I, in the California state legislature. <laughs> so that's come a long way. Um, but, but, so STEM, um, and then also after school. I think, I think one of the, the misconceptions people still have, and it's less so now than it was maybe 10 or 15 years ago, is, is it's aftercare. It's something that that students, you know, can go to and, and kind of just hang out, um, receive maybe just some kind of meal, and then just hang out in the cafeteria. Like that's not what after school is. That's not what after school should be. Um, we should be able to provide real opportunities with real community partnerships. Um, there's a lot of businesses out there that want to make sure that students in their areas understand the types of careers that are available and how they can actually pursue those careers. So, so business partnerships, um, investments in some of these robotics programs or computer coding programs. Um, there's a heck of a lot you can do in the after school space. Like we said, there's flexibility there. It's not bound to some of the same standards and curriculum that the school day is bound to. So you can do a lot more. It's a lot more fun. Um, so that's one of the, the, the common misconceptions we still kind of have to face. Um, as we see more and more members of Congress, especially younger members of Congress come in that kind of grew up with similar types of after school programs, they understand it, especially as we have more parents coming into Congress. They understand the importance of having a, a program for, for their students to go to after school day ends so they don't have to leave work early um, or their, their students don't have to or their kids don't have to like go home and, and be alone for a few hours while their parents are still at work. So I think we've we've been seeing more less and less members of Congress not really understanding it. But I think once we have um, one of those members of Congress come out and actually see a program, they get it. Like The best way to understand the importance of after school is to see it in person and visit a program and really talk to the kids and talk to the parents of those kids and, and really understand why this is something that is a necessity. 
So, so Chris, why are you doing what you're doing now? What uh, about your job really motivates you around this this particular topic? Yeah, sure. And I, I think it all goes back to just um, fairness, equality, equity, like making sure that that students that are growing up, whether it's in the Midwest in a farming community in the Midwest or it's in a big city on the East or West Coast, that they have the same opportunities that I had. So they have the opportunities to go to summer camps and really see what is available to them, what what kind of interest they have or they can develop by participating in these different types of programs. Um, there's too many stories of, of, of students that just we, we would deem unsuccessful. And a lot of that is just drawn to the fact that they never really had an opportunity to pursue or, or pursue some of their interests that they have. And they never had an opportunity to attend different types of summer camps or after school programs and really kind of try out all of these different options and figure out what they liked. Because there's something out there that, that for everyone, essentially. Um, so that's kind of like the core of, of why I've gotten into this work. Um, I've also kind of stumbled into like the informal STEM space out of college and really fell in love with it. I wasn't a, a I guess I would say a hard science major. Um, I was a geography major, um, funny enough. So, so I, I, I wasn't a physics major. I wasn't a biology major or anything like that. Um, so then I went, I went on to like work at a science museum and someone that didn't really connect with some of the hard sciences during college, being able to see it in an environment that was way less formal. So more of an informal environment, seeing how these, um, concepts from physics or chemistry actually play out in real experiments in real life helped me develop a real love for STEM. And I think that's something that more students need to have the opportunity to see because it's yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I think there's just so much potential in the after-school world for, for giving kids an opportunity to do things like that that they wouldn't have had otherwise. You know, the, the, I'm an engineer myself, and I remember one of the pieces of data showed two things that have always stuck with me. That if, if your father was an engineer, that's the biggest selector for becoming, going into engineering. But the thing that always impressed me was, for most of the rest of the sciences, it was an experience out of school that ultimately turned that light on. Going to a museum or visiting a laboratory or touring an airplane or you know doing something that, where you actually got to experience that hands-on, and I feel like that's the you know the biggest draw is just giving so many kids that maybe wouldn't have the opportunity the chance to see that for the first time and to see the and to see the light in their eyes when they see something that that you know that they I can do this too right so. It's really exciting. So thanks for being with us on our first podcast in this new adventure. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll have you back soon. Awesome. Thanks so much.